ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to face2facegames.com. Hey everybody, Brian David Marshall here with Zvi Moshowitz. We are at Hex and Company in New York, uh, the Upper West Side location. So this is sort of a burgeoning chain of game cafes here in New York, which is kind of awesome. Our office is not available to us this week, so we uh, so we're using it sort of like a, an ersatz Starbucks. Yeah, it's a pretty great place. <laughs> um, so, Zvi, you are heading off to the Pro Tour. Indeed, I am. AKA the Mythic Championship. AKA the Players Tour, whatever they call it. For potentially the final time, because the form, the, the system is changing. Right. Um, so you, you've had, you know, your 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 dial in terms of preparation for Pro Tours over the course of your career has modulated. <laughs> where where's your, where has your dial been for for this last Mythic Championship? This is the most prepared I have been since the comeback. This is me devoting the last few weeks almost entirely to preparing for this tournament. And given how things are shaking out, I obviously kind of wish it had been under better circumstances. <laughs> but I do feel reasonably ready. I'm pretty confident I know what my deck is. Uh, although I had one la- there's one last thing I want to try to try and salvage uh, the good old... Uh, original build before I <laughs> settle on normal, um, and I think I feel comfortable with the draft now. So, so, so ha- yeah. and how how have you been preparing for draft? Like, what's what's been your process for that? So, I made the mistake of drafting on arena for far too long. Although it did get me complete sets of everything, so now I can just test constructed. But they're completely different formats. So we saw we lowballed this when we talked about it on the last time on the podcast when I gave BDM his primer. It actually turns out they just don't. The two formats don't have anything in common. Like, the cards are the same, technically. But you draw. I draw first on Arena. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize That's that. That's absurd in real life. Like, you really want to be on the play. These games are very, often very tempo-based. There's lots of viable decks. Uh, the balance is completely different. Uh, the problem is that the bots not only take some cards way too fast and some cards way too slow... They don't understand synergies or archetypes or going for a thing, which means that you will never have a thing be open. You will only have a cover be open. And so when you're trying to draft a specific type of deck with a specific set of cards that no one else wants unless they're competing with you, you're always fighting people. Right. Which means you just want to stick to the things that are solid, that don't require a critical mass of specific cards, they don't have synergies, and so the green-black decks are just the best thing you can do on Arena. They are... And yet everyone's just doing the blue deck. <laughs> well, I think they fixed the Secret Keeper thing, like, about a week ago. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of people do the blue deck. It's bad uh, on Arena, even, I think. I think it's better in real life, even. Um, oh, wow. But just because you're not doing Secret Keeper, you're actually just building a real deck that happens right. to have a few Secret Keepers. But I've reached the conclusion that real life is also unbalanced. Green is the color for me. <laughs> but a very different green than the, the green with maybe some black, probably, on Arena. Now it's a very aggressive green. Now it's a very tempoed green. 
uh, with options. And the splashes are, by default, like nothing, then white, then red. Okay. So it's the opposite set of stuff. Interesting. Now, where, where, where you, so when we first talked about Limited on the, on the podcast and we talked about, you, you were pretty down on white as a color in Throat of Eldraine. Uh, yeah. Where, where do you stand on it now? I, I'm still, well, it's, it's a bad color. It, it doesn't have very many good cards. So if you get white basically to yourself the entire draft, I think you are likely to have a reasonable white deck. Right. But it's going to be a stretch. I know there are some people who have had success, but you're counting on cards opening because there aren't that many cards that you actually want at that point. And your chance of opening powerful uncommons and rares is much smaller than a lot of other colors. So even getting it alone is not that great a position. I mean, I think I would accept it, you know, given potluck as the alternative, but it's not that appealing. And also, basically, nobody ever starts with it, right? Nobody ever wants to jump straight in because, again, you know, it's probably open. So you, you don't want to first pick an Arvindale Tactician? It doesn't give you any information. Like, if you get picked to third pair Arvindale Tactician, it just tells you that nobody was willing to jump into white, but nobody's ever willing to jump into white. Those players aren't less likely to be white than they are normally because they passed that, not particularly. Mm. And they're sort of vaguely aware they passed an Arvindale Tactician, so that someone's going to be a little tempted more than usual. But people, everyone's sort of playing this waiting game of seeing what they, seeing how exactly how far the squires and the tacticians and, and the guide mothers go around the table, and then probably not taking them anyway because they're trying to go mono. Sure. Now, uh, players like uh, I know you were talking to Ryan Sachs a little bit to get you know caught up on like real eight person limited at some point where you were a little behind the curve because of Arena, um, and and Ryan and then Ethan Sachs no relation, not even the same spelling, on uh, Twitter has been talking a lot about white decks. So I, I'm curious, that these are two players who, who, who do a lot of limited, who've been really like, no, this is this is where you want to be in limited. I want white aggro. Um, where, where, where do you think that disconnect comes so from? So Ryan is very much, I talked to him for many hours at this point, of the opinion that all 15 decks, which are any combination of one or two colors, are reasonable places to be. He thinks the best place to be is actually red-blue, if you get there, but you have to get key on commons and rares to do it. Uh, white is just one of many perfectly fine options. Yeah. And this feels to me like there's a certain type of drafter who drafts a lot, who knows everything inside and out, and who prides themselves on doing what the draft says and being comfortable doing anything. And I think those players tend to overdo that and not recognize that, given what you know about the tendencies of other players... Certain things are just mathematically more likely to be available than others, and that you're hedging your bets too much. Slash, if everybody is staying open to what comes and seeing what's going on, then everybody just gets into the cards that are more naturally pulling people into colors, and certain colors end up underdrafted, certain colors end up overdrafted. In particular, black and red are going to end up overdrafted in that world, because people are taking Scorching Dragon Fires, and they can do pies, and Reeve Souls, and other similar more appealing first and second picks, whereas nobody seems to think Witch Stalker is particularly a draw. It's just a card. Right. But it's the best current common. Right? Let's out muscle. But again, they don't think out muscle is particularly, like, I have to take this card. They don't feel compelled by anything. And the green on commons are also just not that compelling. Right? There are lots of good cards that aren't compelling. So they don't have entry points. So people end up not taking these cards until later. And so if you're going to move quickly, 
you can just shut the door on everyone to your left because the cards you don't see, they didn't take a green card. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's interesting. Uh, now, is there, is there a difference also you talk about, like, you're talking about people like Ryan, Ryan, Ethan specifically, or like almost like volume shooters of basketball. I mean, they do a ton of drafts. And you start to look at things in this sort of big picture of like, well, you know, if, if one draft doesn't go well, you know, if they draft a white deck and it, it doesn't do well for them, or they draft their blue-red deck because they try it, it doesn't matter that much because then there's always the next draft. Is there a different mentality that goes into tackling a limited format when you're thinking about a, a pro tour where there are two drafts that matter? And they matter immensely. Right, like there is no redo, there's no fire up the next queue. I mean, certainly I think there's three modes. There's, I want to be flexible, so that I experience a lot of different things, so that I, I go with the weirdness, so that I learn about how to deal with weird situations and how to take advantage of different things and see new interactions. You favor taking rare cards, you favor taking uncommon cards that don't normally see play, you favor trying stuff you haven't tried. There's the mode of, I'm going to experiment with a force or a particular strategy that I want to do because I haven't done it enough. And so I'm going to lean heavily towards that or because I just want to see if it works, right? I suspect this is what to do. And then, yeah, there's the point where this is where it counts, right? If I sit down at the Pro Tour and I know what I think mathematically is likely to work based on my experiences on Magic Online and talking to players and theorizing, my best results in draft by far have come in formats where I think I know what I know how to draft, that other people are not drafting enough, where they're going to give me the cards that I want. And I stick to my guns, where I take Knight of Clifthaven over Flame Slash, uh, famously, where you were covering, right? And I'm fair to sit down to my draft at the Pro Tour in San Juan. And <laughs> I feel like we've had this, actually, yeah. this engagement multiple times. Yes. I remember you taking, um, was it Leon and Bolas? What's the card? It was, it, was the, it was the equipment. It was at Nationals. And it was the one mana equipment that let you tap a creature. Yeah. Over Fireball. Right. That was you, right? I don't remember that, but... <laughs> but but you believe it. Things like that, yes. Just the <laughs> idea of, you know what? I know where I want to be. Right. I know where I don't want to be. I know that this card will definitely tie the next player in, because not only did they get it, they got it second, which means that they just got the signal from the person on their right. That person wants nothing to do with this color under any circumstances. So they know the coast is completely clear. Yeah. Right? Because there's no way. I can't just back up and do it anyway. It's too late. They're, they're going to assume this. And I know they know that I know and so on, right? And so you get to send this incredibly strong signal. So once it raises a certain threshold, you just want to go with it. And so this time, green is the word. So my pick order of comments to start the draft is Fierce Witchstalker, Out Muscle, Mary Reef Rider, okay. Rose Thorn Howard, Wildwood Tracker. Wildwood Tracker? That's... Wow. That's it's a 2-2 for G that yeah. isn't a human. Yeah. And yes, you have to do a tiny bit of work, meaning have another creature in play. <laughs> but you know what? If it takes a turn or two to have a 2-2, that's fine. It's not the biggest deal in the right. world. I have never been burned by the in response remove the other creature right. like problem. Right. You can always slap a halberd on it. You often slap a halberd on it. You'd rather slap it on a ginger brute. So... Actually, I was thinking about the green common. So actually, Ginger Brute goes uh, fourth. Okay. But so it doesn't slot ahead of the... Merrileaf Rider. Rider. Yeah, okay. Because Merrileaf Rider can draw other people into green, and because you can end up with a shortage of two drops, because you don't want Curious Pair, 
because it's a different deck. Right. Which means the only green two drop you get is Merrileaf Rider. Your second green drop, your second two drop is Jousting Dummy, unless you get second color. It's probably my most drafted color in this format. I think mine as well, <laughs> just because it's basically free and people don't understand how much it fixes everything. It's a yeah. knight and it's not a human. And it's colorless, and it pumps. Yeah, I was gonna say it scales to where you are in the game sometimes, right? Like if, you if, can just trade with a bigger thing. If necessary, break glass. I mean, you'd rather not. Obviously, yeah. it's really awkward, but you can do it. And it just the the, the availability of it rounds you out. So does Hengewalker. Like mono green Hengewalker is perfect because your three drop is pretty light again of aggro creatures, and also you want a good place to put Oaken Boon and Out Muscle on turn four, and this does both. I assume Oaken Boon is the spell side of True and Vale Tree Folk. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably also one of my... I've had, I've had quite a few... I think Tree Folk might be my most... Point. Yeah, I, I think Tree Folk is the second best green common in the abstract. Um, maybe third behind Out Muscle. Yeah. It's close. And it's being treated like a card that wheels. I mentally put that card in my deck when I open it, reasonably often. I say to myself, there's a good chance this, this Tree Folk will wheel. And I use it to the test, right? If the Tree Folk does wheel out of that pack, then I know the coast is clear. I'm just going mono green. Nothing can stop me. What, um, so you, you mentioned Curious Pair going in a different deck. What, what, is it, what, is it, what does a deck that wants Curious Pair look like compared so to... So you're, you're more defensive. You're either green-blue where you're trying to scale the flyers and play a value game that isn't trying to kill them, or you're green-black and you're taking advantage of food effects. Either of those decks wants it. Also, it's good if you get actual, like... I'm going to play a Dwell Innkeeper. Right. right. The first Innkeeper makes it a reasonable card. The second Innkeeper makes it a great card. Lucky Clover helps, but, like, the food is still not it's just food, so, like, it's not that big a deal. Right. But it's just sort of the idea of, do I want a defensive creature on two? Right. Right, is the biggest question. Do I want food that much? And the answer in these decks is you don't want it. But also, if you have to play it, it's not like anything bad happens to you. Right. Right? It's just another creature, but it's also a human. So you can't put a halberd on it. It can't trigger Wildwood Tracker. It doesn't do the things you want it to do. It's a fine card to have on your sideboard, though, because if you suddenly face a red-white aggro deck or something, right. you can board it. In. Now, talking about some uncommons, where does a card like Lucky Clover or a card like Edgewall Innkeeper fit in when you're uh, doing those picks? So they're ahead of the commons. They're ahead of all the commons? Yeah. Okay. To me. I, I think that Knowing you have it to start the draft, Lucky Clover also opens the door for like other, you know, other colors potentially. Right. You, know, you don't know exactly what's going on, but white is always open. Wandermere tables. Lucky Clover creates limited situations where you feel like you're playing an older format. I had three giants, two of which were uh, Beanstalk and one of which was Bone Crusher, and it was fun. Yeah, I've definitely done the turn three, discard four cards now a couple times. I, I, I think I think Beanstalk Giant doubled into into Beanstalk Giant doubled is better. That's pretty awesome. That's living the true dream, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty great. But there's some pretty awesome stuff you can do, and I admire it. But, yeah, you just don't want to get ahead of yourself. But, like, there's two green-white decks I'm very comfortable in. There's the Adventure deck, and then there's the Fox with the Halibird. Yeah, Flying Foxes. Flying Foxes. Uh, what happens, let me ask you, just, you sit down to your first draft, you open up your pack, you flip Fanny through, you see your Fierce Witch Stalker, you're like, yes. Yes. And you flip, and you see Edgewall Innkeeper also. And obviously, you have Innkeeper over it, but you open them up in the same pack, does that affect your plan, you know, knowing that maybe, 
which soccer is, even if people don't like green, it's pretty... I'm not going to get... Knowledge is a strong green card. Yeah, you're not going to get green alone very often. You're not really looking to get green alone. Okay. Um, you're going to be leaning more towards possibly playing adventures because you're encouraging people to draft a different green deck with the witch stalker a little okay. bit. Cool. It won't table, unless the pack is absurd. Right. But you have to take the innkeeper there. You have to take the lucky clover there. But you're still thinking the same thing. You're just leaning a little bit more towards adventure deck or maybe the red splash, similar strategy that way. Um, but no, it doesn't really change anything because it's not going to create a green drafter out of nowhere the way that a Scorching Dragonfire would create a red drafter. People just don't think that way. Right. Interesting. So, segueing from mono green <laughs> um, to standard, when we first started talking about the event and standard, you know, you had tweeted a, a mono green list built around um, Yorvo and <coughs> uh, a couple other cards, and that was your starting point on standard. You, you, you know, what's your evolution uh, on preparing for this standard format? For this, well, that deck is like a, you know, Golos is a buy if you faced it, <laughs> but unfortunately, Golos went bye bye. Right. So there's no option there, and if you run to Oko, that's your nightmare matchup. Always has been because they're just an expert in brick walling. But what are the odds you run into an Oko? Sixty percent. <laughs> okay. Well, 50% they're playing it in their deck. So after in any given game, more like 35, 40. Okay. But about 40%. I mean, they mulligan to it. So like yeah. 45, but it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, in any case, so I tried a bunch of stuff. I was playing Tamur Planeswalkers, uh, the Jeff Hoogland build, uh, when the Mythic deck list came out. And I was succeeding with that. I was I gotten up to Platinum on that strategy. And then... We had some conversations, and I had an idea, and I opened up a Google spreadsheet and started looking through Sky, Scryfall, and I wrote down all the cards that were relevantly castable, and I broke the format uh, when Golos was legal. So uh, this is the thing that was like kind of warping the conversations last time, because I wanted to like give people as much interesting information as possible without revealing that I had just done this, but... Essentially, what you do is you take the Timur Planeswalker deck, you take out all the Planeswalkers. <laughs> Almost all the Planeswalkers. Except for Oko and, like, one Royal Scions. Right. And you replace them with all the good creatures in Embercleave. So, basically, Embercleave is the messed up magic card that has to be played independently of all the other messed up magic cards. Instead, you're playing it with a bunch of knights or, like, some Regisars or just some Gruul creatures. But Gruul isn't actually a good deck. It's just a deck that can play Embercleave. <laughs> And occasionally it plays Embercleave and it's a hero, and otherwise it's just like, I'm playing some Neoker Agar cards, and like, you're playing Golos, which can't actually block. So maybe I win, question mark? Because my creatures are well positioned. Uh, but Embercleave is actually a completely ridiculous card. So instead of trying to put it on a little knight, or otherwise trying to make the way, so I realized that the, um, the key innovation that Hoogland had was the two drops are awful. Get to your three drops on turn two, or bust. Right. Right, or Mulligan. Just throw it away. The London Mulligan said, you can do this. It's fine. The problem is, he was presenting us with four Royal Scions as our backup plan, right? Or two Domries if we didn't get to Oko. But neither of these actually get it done right. on the second turn. Right. So I went looking for something that would get it done. I had Mu Yang Lin, actually, in my Timur Planeswalker build in order to provide more Okos for this problem. But Devil Blue was actually kind of annoying. Right. So it wasn't ideal. It was just better than the alternatives. Um, when I started looking, for, as in we're really red, we're trying to play creatures. Well, Legion Warboss just jumps out. 
we were watching uh, the, the previous Mythic Championship, <laughs> yeah. and someone was just talking about War Boss, and we, you know, so he's been going through things, looking for threes to play on too, and there's just this kind of like big eyeball moment when someone, someone on the cover just mentions Legion War Boss and what a problem card it is when it comes down, and they were like. What if it comes down a turn earlier? I I remember it as you. Shut up. Stop talking. I know this already. Don't tell everybody else. Uh, I, I think I, I, I thought I built the deck at the preview show, like before the coverage started. Yeah. So my remembering of the timeline was at the preview show with Flores in the room. I was on the spreadsheet and I turned this, the, the computer around and I'm like, here's the list. And the list hasn't changed. So I already had it because like I went through and I looked at every three drop in green and red. And I found Love Struck Beast. Legion War Boss. And I put them on the spreadsheet together and I was like, oh. So if I have Legion War Boss, they generate a stream of 1 1s. It lets me attack with my Love Struck Beast. So now I can play Love Struck Beast on turn two and give up Heart's Desire and probably still play it and right. still attack with it. Now I can give it a sword and it's a 6 6 double striker. So that seems pretty exciting. And now we're coming out really fast. We're clocking the Golos and we're brickwalling the aggro decks with the Love Struck Beasts. Then you finish out Questing Beast, the best place to put a sword. Yep. You know, Gruel Spellbreaker, the standard, like, filler three drop. It's like 4-4 <laughs> four, four on turn two. Seems pretty great. Utility infielder. 3-3 <laughs> three, three haste later if you're, you know, in a rush. But in general, because you're going to put a sword on it a lot, you play it as a 4-4. Four, four, slash if they elk it, still a 4-4. Four, four. So it actually wins a lot of games against food decks because they can't elk it. So now you can definitely brick wall the Nissa Oko creatures for a while. And then you come back later. And, yeah, that's the whole deck. You're and, done. And the big innovation that you found in this deck, which I thought was really interesting, and I still haven't seen anyone do this, is that Gilded Gooses and Arboreal Grazers can attack. Yes, for zero. It's allowed. <laughs> and this is relevant in this deck because of right. four Embercleaves. And if they block them, it almost never kills them or matters, right? Like, Gilded Goose does, doesn't get blocked by other Gilded Geese for zero instead of hitting for zero. That's fine. <laughs> and, like, when they bother blocking Arboreal Grazer, like, okay, I don't really care that much. Right. Right. They can also attack as Elks, but, like, that's just <laughs> turn two attack for three if an Arboreal Grazer is, is underappreciated. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. You you can just use these to reduce Embercleave. So, between Legion War Boss and, at the time, Lovestruck Beast and the Zeros... You have so many ways to just get that second, third attacker so that Embercleave is affordable. And now you put it down on so many creatures with 4-plus power. And you just take over the game with any of them. Because they can't handle that, and if they kill it, you re-equip the Embercleave. Equip 3 is not that expensive. Right. So, this, this all happens, and then Field of the Dead gets banned. Yes. So basically, at this point, I go 10-2 and two to hit Mythic, on the ladder at Platinum. I'm, I'm scared that somebody saw me. I don't want to play the deck. And then... It, I, I, I played... So, so yeah. me going 10-2 in the deck is nothing. Yeah. Whatever. That happens. I don't go 10-2 with standard decks. And I played the deck starting at whatever... I know I don't play any standard on Arena. And I was gold in a minute. Like, it did, just was like... Um, did you like, lose a match? I don't think I lost a match. Yeah. And I'm just like... I need to stop playing this deck because, A, 
It's really addictive. It's a lot of fun. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's the most fun Oko deck. Until you start mulliganing in your matches and then you realize yeah. that it's not um, fun anymore. But but, but also I was just like, I don't I don't I don't want anyone to, <laughs> I don't want to show this to anyone as I as I move up because it was, you know, at the time you you you, you still thought you were gonna be playing this. Yeah, like I when I negotiated to join a team, I was like, You have to keep my deck secret. It's just not negotiable. I think the thing's broken. And at the time, it was broken. I still think it was broken. Right. But the next weekend comes around, the MCQW, and now 37% is Sultai Oko with four Noxious Crafts to me. And then 25% is Aether is, you know, Gust versions, basically. Right. Instead, and it turns out, if everyone's been decking four Wicked Wolves plus two mana interactions, they can play defense often enough if they get to their Wicked Wolves, they get to their things that stop you. And then, if you can't break through, you know, if you don't have the Embercleave set up, or they can elk it, then they just win, because they take over the long game. Because you're not investing in that. Like, Questing Beast against Wicked Wolf is embarrassing. But you have to play Questing Beast on this plan. And occasionally it just wins the game, because it comes down and the Oko dies, and then, like, it snowballs, and then it dies and it snowballs. But... Just the matchups are really random. It turns out in practice, they're f okay. They're not terrible. But I think that when we get to the Pro Tour and people see the list and know what they're doing, they will play better. And the matchup will be lousy. Right. And now we've seen the MCQW and now two Grand Prix, where there's an outright majority of the players and the later fields and posting above 50% winning percentages in that context. So I'm going to try... One last hurrah. I swapped Lovestruck Beast and Wicked Wolf between the main deck and sideboard to try yeah. and improve the matchup. So this is being recorded a couple days before it's going to get posted. This is going to get posted once deck lists are finalized for the Mythic Championship. Right. Um, so that, you know, no nothing's going out <coughs> to the world before, you know, while well, anyone can respond to anything. Of course. But but I, I, as yeah. of this moment, um, you, you might still play some version of this. I think deck. there's still like a 15% chance that I end up playing it. Basically, there's a lot of... I, I am probably going to play it in whatever standard event oh, is I in Richmond. Oh, if I was... No, no, If I get knocked out of the Pro Tour, I will play it in the side <laughs> events for sure. Like, I have it physically on me right now, minus the Okos, which I'm picking up later tonight. Because they're sold out all over the internet. But, um, no, basically, I think that, like, I'm going to try Domri. I think there's a 15% chance that, like, my other deck becomes a bad idea very quickly in the next two days, and I decide to switch. Because... First of all, it's a lot more fun this... In many ways, it's a lot more fun this way. And, like, there's a chance I'm very right. Like, if things shift in a weird direction, I could be very right, which is always a great thing to keep in mind. Uh, it's a unique deck, but also, like, you know, it's a guaranteed deck tech, right? <laughs> it's true. It's a... If I'm right, I get so much more credit for this than if I'm just running a relatively stock deck with a few specific card choices. Um... And just in general, I gotta be me, right? Like, why not go out with a blast? And also, like, it would feel weird not to play Oko at the Oko tournament, right? Which I'm about to not do. Uh, Corey Burkhardt had a tweet today. He was like, uh, am I gonna register the best... Am I gonna actually manage to register the best card in the format for this tournament? Or will I continue my streak? I think he's like... He said he was one for 20 <laughs> in playing the best card in standard in a standard event at this level. Yes. I, I knew from the very start that if it was also Tai Oko there was 0% chance I would play Sultai Oko. I am not going to spend two weeks learning this mirror in order to hope that things stay where they are and that nobody finds a way to beat it when I know that it's beatable. Right, well, right. I mean, if you know, if you, 
know, right? I mean, we saw this at the Mythic Champion, the previous Mythic Championship. If you know everyone's doing this or this, you know, or largely in this case, this, just this one, like, kind of like, you know, sort of swath of Oko decks across a couple of different uh, wedges, you should be able to aim at it. Right. In the previous Mythic Championship, like, I was kind of mocking the whole philosophy of. How could you possibly think Golos is potentially an unbeatable deck? It's the slowest thing I've ever seen, <laughs> right? Like, you're playing this turn one tap plan more often than not, and then turn two, you hope to play a growth spiral, but the mana on this is actually not that reliable because you need at least one untapped land in blue or green to do this. And then on turn three, you can Circuitous Route or Bonestruck Giant or something, and then turn four, you can Wrath, and for some reason you think this is going to be fast enough. On the draw, I don't understand. How does this work? What if they disdainful stroke? Question mark, question mark. It's weird. So, you know, that was clearly beatable. And it turned out that even the basic food decks there that were not making that many concessions were able to handle it fine. And obviously the Embercleave decks were pretty freaking happy to play against it. So now we've got Oko as the villain. And Oko is Broko. It's not like Golos, which was not Broko. It was just, we've been doing this for too many months it was the deck that everybody already had tuned, so it was a better version of itself than other people. And so it just, the pressure became so bad that everyone felt like they couldn't find a good deck in time that was going to beat it, and they ended up all playing it, and then that forced the hand of the ban list, basically, is what my understanding of the situation, but, or something like that. So now Oko is truly Broko. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like even at 60%, 65%, right, the worst it's ever been, it doesn't mean that if you can build your 60, build your 75, specifically aiming to be, if I beat Oko, I can lose to basically everything else as long as I'm not embarrassing. And it's fine, right? Relatively fine. If my deck right. is not embarrassing, then there are things you can do. And we know of multiple things you can do. There were a decent number of decks with a above 50% food matchup in Leon. They run all the stats. Um... One of the decks that I thought beats food actually got its ass kicked by food, which is confusing to me. It's also a deck I'm about to run. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on, but I feel perfectly comfortable in my matchups. Uh, it depends, I guess, on the exact list that people use and how they play it and how they develop it. I think my list is... Our theory is that people were playing lists that are weak to it slash weak to their sideboard strategies, whereas you don't have to do that, but we'll see. We'll get to that bit, so, bit. So, so what deck is in your holster right now? Cavaliers. And, and what does what is the the sort of broad premise of this deck? Don't worry. The broad premise of this deck is Fires of Invention is one of the messed up magic cards of Throne of Eldraine. <laughs> it's really messed up. It seems like a common theme for this set. So instead of spending your mana once, how about we spend it two and a half times? We cast two spells that cost five each with our five lands, and then we activate Castle Vantress, or we activate our Cavalier Flame, or our Canriff, or something, with the rest of it. How does that sound for you? As a good idea? Sounds delightful. Yeah, and how about turn four, we cast, so we, and we set this up by casting fires, and then the four drop we were going to cast anyway, or the three drop we were going to cast anyway, right afterwards, and we fix our color, in case we had a problem. And we don't have to actually do that much to set this up, and if we don't get it, we just play magic anyway. So I think that's, that last part is the key to me. Like, if you're playing Fae of Wishes, a bunch of Planeswalkers, the old school style stuff... You don't draw the fires, you're in a lot of trouble because well, your deck is very slow. It, it can't be that fires dependent if you don't call the deck, <laughs> you know, some sort of fires. Of well, I, the reason why is because if you're playing Jeskai, you are playing fires. Yeah. So it's much more clarifying to say Cavaliers to clarify, you know, because we know the fires is there. Right. Uh, so, so when you say Cavaliers, what, what, what is that part of the deck? 
represent? Like, so what is that? the Cavaliers of Gus and Flame, the blue and red Cavaliers. So the idea is that your your top end, once you get down your fires, is just you play Cavalier of Gales. You have a five five flyer. You draw three. You put the two. You put two back if you if you're going to pass the turn. The three you don't want. If you're not going to pass the turn, the two you do want. <laughs> then if you if it is if you're not going to pass the turn, you put Cavalier of Flame immediately thereafter. Now you discard your handful of lands and useless cards. You pick up the spells you care about. Now you have a good hand again, so you can keep doing this kind of thing again next turn. You activate Cavalier of Flame and you attack for, you know, 15, something like that, if you activate twice. So they're 6 and 5 power and this pumps them and gives them haste. Another strong play on that turn is Cavalier of Flame, Deafening Clarion with both modes. So wipe out all of your 3-3 blockers. I have lifelink. Take out your Oak or Anissa. Gain 6 life. Go. I still have my Cavalier. That sounds great. Discard all my lands, find more spells. Like, you don't come back. You get a lot of concessions in this spot. And they're not wrong, right? Like, right. what could I have? I kept two cards in my hand when I did the Cavalier. He knows I did that for a reason. The game's effectively over. Your hand's weak. Scoop it up. It's only going to get worse. And again, if you miss on fires, it's not that bad. Your cards are still reasonably good magic cards. They're not going to be as efficient as your opponent's right. magic cards. But also, you can make Aether Gust. Like everybody else. So everyone's Mindic and Grasp or Aethergust. You get Aethergust. If they're Mindic and Grasp, it only hits Teferi or the one Kenrith. And I still like Kenrith because the haste ability is so important to hit Planeswalkers and because they can't actually hold up Noxious Grasp for it. And by the time it's hit, you, it's hit the Planeswalker once, if they kill it, it doesn't even matter anymore. Right, the game's right. over. So I think I'm okay with it. Um, and then after board, obviously, they take out their Noxious Grasp regardless. So it's good to have in the 75 if you want it after board. And... The key question is, the Jeskai lists that are succeeding online right now are moving away from Shimmer of Possibility. They're moving down to, like, only one copy often, or even zero copies in Ralph Levy's version, in order to fit more interaction. So you're seeing Prison Realms, you're seeing Bone Crusher Giants, often into Realm Cloak Giant, because they think the 4-3 body is that important. I am confused by this, caring about this. <laughs> I think time up, time up to pick up a Cavalier is much more important than playing a 7-7 or keeping your 4-3s. Like, the number of games where it's like, you know, Cavalier of Gales, go. Next turn, like, time might pick up the Cavalier, Cavalier, go. Like, that's it, right? We're done? Fire is this a dumb magic card. Fire is a really dumb magic card. And by the way, Scry 2 with my yeah. Castle of Andros. Right. And by the way, you've had a pretty good history with cards named Fires. It's been all right. It's a, it's a warning, right? Fires of something means you're going to do something you're not supposed to be able to do. So maybe you should do it. Um, yes. And so moved away from Fae of Wishes in particular because granted it's a horrible magic card if you're paying mana for it. Sure. Basically, in the current context. You just don't have that kind of time. So why make your draws worse? I feel, I want to play four Shimmer of Possibility because if I find the Clarion where it matters, or I find the Fires where it matters, or I find the Wrath where it matters, you know, the higher, I have a Silver Blaze and a Time Wipe right now. Or I fill out my land base. I don't miss a land drop. Or I get an untapped land on the fourth turn when I don't otherwise have one. Or I fix my color. Or any number of other things. That is so much better of a two-mana spell, even against an aggro deck, than a Bone Crusher Giant. Like, how am I going to plan to, like, spend two mana on this half of the Bone Crusher Giant and three mana on that half of the Bone Crusher Giant? Have you seen my land base, by the way? <laughs> that wasn't turns two and three that often. Right. Or if it was, it cost me four life a lot. And it's pretty shaky. I'd rather be Aether Gusting. I'd rather be Shimmering. I'd rather be doing some combination of these things. And then I'll catch up later. And so this idea that, like, as some of my teammates put it, you don't, you want to avoid having air in your deck? I disagree. 
I think you want all the air behind you you can get. I think you want to get to where you want to go. And you can keep seen a sailboat? <laughs> you can keep these hands that are like five lands shimmer of possibility to ferry or something like that. Right. And just you'll figure it out. Right? It's keepable. Contrast that to Elk Blade, where you can have three lands providing all your color. Right. Your best three and four drops in all of the combinations in your other four slots, or four three the other way, and you have to throw it back. Right, and, and uh, it's funny, because Oakblade, so you have one of the stupid cards from Throne of Eldraine in the Fires deck. Yes. Right, there's only one, right? It's just Fires of Invention. There are other cards from the set, but they're not dumb. They're not the dumb cards. I mean, yeah, Bonecrusher Giant is a, dumb, is, a, is a messed up magic card, but not on the same level. Yeah, but you have three messed up magic cards in Oakblade. We have Embercleave. You have Embercleave, Oko. Gilded and, Goose. And Once Upon a Time. And Once Upon a Time. So and I think Gilded I count four. You count four? Okay. <laughs> I was going to give Gilded Goose a little credit for being... And then half credit for Lovestruck Beast and Bonecrusher <laughs> Giant, which are both screwed up magic cards in their own way. We're just distracted right now. Right? At some point I'll write the article, hopefully, the yeah. messed up magic cards with Throne of Eldraine. Like, let's just list them and rank them and, like, yeah, just see I'm how... I'm curious, actually. But I think there's dozens of them. I think it's really bad. Like... I mean, this is, like, approaching... Saga well, the problem is, like, once you acknowledge that you're going to print a card like Oko, and it's not like they didn't know Oko was semi-Broko, they just wanted it to only be semi-Broko, so that they could, like, make it their big poster child, right? Like, center things around it. And Gilded Goose, which you, you know is great, like, you can't pretend it's not great. Well, if you're going to compete with that, you have to print other crazy stuff right. that's going to attract the possibility of playing it instead. Where, where are the stats for you that Oko is still, like, a $60 magic card... But is not just making people not want to play magic, right? Which is, I think, where we're on at least, if not past the threshold of, on the brink of. I try plus one and zero. Plus plus one is, and then a zero. Plus one to make a food and zero to elk, and see what happens. I mean, it's still a great card, undoubtedly, but there's so many other great things going on. You know, maybe it's okay. Six. You don't think? I mean. Is it crazy for it to be minus one to make an elk? No, it's not crazy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying... But you're saying to get to a $60 card, it's got to be zero. You want, me, you, want a, you want a $60 card, not a $40 card. I'm guessing. <laughs> I would love to see an economic matrix for placewalker activations. The best part is the part where it gets too good and then the price, the price starts going down because everybody just quits magic. <laughs> Right, so there's, what's the peak Oko? Right, what is, where is Oko most valuable? If it's plus three, is it better than plus two, or is everyone just so furious with it they're just gonna wait for it to be banned? Uh. <laughs> is plus four the peak? I don't know. Right, like in theory. So, what's your uh, prediction for? You know, you, you threw the number out earlier, like sixty-five. You know, you said sixty, sixty-five percent of the field. Right, we we looked at the Leon deck lists. Like, what do you expect the Mythic Championship? feel to look like in terms of Oko decks? I think it looks like Leon, it looks like Japan. I think that players have very little time, they have to pair limited, and it's a very complex limited format that you can't draft on Arena if you want the proper experience. I think that they didn't get to start working on this until after the ban of Field of the Dead, not properly. And everybody understands that these decks go away. And Pioneer just came out. So everyone's super distracted, everyone's super frustrated by what's going on, everyone wants to be doing something else, even if they want to play Magic. And Pioneer's Fun as hell. Everyone loves it, right? Like, ban list is going to come out relatively soon, and my prediction was nothing. 
My hope was nothing. So, so, so as we're recording this, the ban list is supposed to happen this afternoon. Right, but... I, uh, how, how, what kind of kick in the teeth would it be to standard players if they just threw Oko right off? I mean, it would be an announcement, right? <laughs> like, if they ban Oko in Pioneer right now, they're just telling us, we're wait for, you know, take two weeks off and it's gone. Right. How many, how many three-mana Planeswalkers make the ban list in Pioneer? Eventually, <laughs> quite a few. Because Sahili is right, probably the first one up. We can talk about Sahili, but like, again... I knew plenty of p- good people who were playing Green Devotion. Yeah. You know, or other I saw, strong I saw some decks. Really cool Green Devotion decks. I saw someone say, Nick, though, Shrine to Nyx needs to be banned. <laughs> they were like, I think it was Todd Anderson. He was like, I did not expect this to be the card that I thought was a problem in Pioneer, but there you go. So I think they're doing the right thing by announcing that they are going to, every week, check in and specifically ban or not ban. I do not think that should make us think. Something is about to get banned. Right. Everything is fine right now. Um, I would be very surprised and confused if they axed anything right now. Right. Um, and I think it would be a mistake. Right? Because, like, let it play out. Right. Let people have their fun. You know, these broken formats are actually fun until they settle. Right. But you only have to wait less than a week. Right? The moment, it, the moment there's a weekend that's, t- that's bad, you drop the hammer on Monday. That was not this weekend. Let's wait. Watch the question. Right. Maybe we maybe we even don't have to bet anything ever. You know, there's some chance this just works. Huh. So Todd Anderson, by the way. Yes. So Emma just as I was just checking Twitter to see if there'd be any announcements, Emma Handy says, gonna be playing arena all day to prepare for the upcoming MC. What should I be testing? And Todd Anderson says, Green Red Embercleave splashing Oko. <laughs> Which is basically Basically, Elk Blade. I don't think that. I mean, I might turn into the stream later to see if they get there. Um, my guess is no, no. My guess is that what's going to happen is uh, these people are thinking they're just literally going to put eight painlands in the deck and try to make and maybe some temples and try to make it work. And I don't think that plays. Yeah. Well, I think this is probably a joke, right? He's probably like, "Hey, Greenwood Evercleave, you know, is is you know the deck that won the last event. Just put Oko in it." I don't. I, I don't know that it's a serious. I mean, tweet. I as. Because it's Todd, also. <laughs> I'm tempted to give her the list, but no, no, no. <laughs> so, so you've mentioned a couple times, by the way, you were talking. Um, you're, you said your team. So, what? What? So, tell me about that part of because this is something that you faced uh, a couple times. Is because you, you don't go to every pro tour, um, and so it's difficult to find that network, right? That you can work with and that you can just sort of jump on board with. So, a, I know a lot of good pros, and I have a great reputation for, I work, you know, I keep secrets, I help people, I'm not selfish, you know, I don't do bad things, I don't create a toxic environment, so I, I can get onto teams pretty easily, but I have to use whatever forms of communication they use, I have to work on their schedule, I have to fit into their plans, or it doesn't work. And so for this Pro Tour, I had to accept something I really hate, which I had to use Facebook Messenger <laughs> as the means of communication for the team. We, don't even, we haven't sent a single email. Everything is in a Facebook chat. This is not my preferred mode of communication. The other thing I had to do was there's nobody in New York City, right? Like Autumn's in London, I believe, or certainly in Europe. And Sam is in Madison along with everybody else. So I don't get to do any in-person testing on the team. And I got to do very little one-on-one testing with teammates, even on Arena, because the timing was so awkward between family and jobs and everything. And, yeah, drafting. And <laughs> yeah, but I got 
a limited meeting that lasted several hours, which is the most valuable thing of all. I got to look at, they got to get them to look at drafts. I got to talk about constructed. We got to consult. I would not have gotten to the Cavalier list that I have now without the team, without Jack in particular. Um, Who's Jack? Uh, so, so Jack is one of the teammates. I have never worked with him before, but um, he in particular has been pioneering the, um, no puns intended, the Cavalier list. So uh, here he is, Jack Kiefer. Oh, Jack Kiefer. Jack Kiefer, yeah. Oh, awesome. I, 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 love, I love the Kiefers. That's awesome. I didn't realize you were, that he was working with that group. Yeah, yeah. So we have we have Jack, we have Lewis. Um, so it's Autumn, Sam, Matt Severa. Um, it's it's a great group. Like yeah. the only problem with the group is it's a. I mean, I wanted a little small because I thought my deck was busted. But like it's a little small, and just the timing isn't thought out to create a lot of in-team testing. And so you have problems like Oko does not dominate Arena the way it dominates real tournaments. Because I don't know if you've ever gone to a stream that's trying to play standard these past two weeks, but literally all of them say streaming non-Oko decks in standard, or they say pioneer. Sure, I mean it's a, I mean or limited, right? Very yeah. similar to when you're. I mean, I've produced a number of GP streams over the course of my coverage career, and you know your part of that involves picking the matches, and you know what you don't pick. The deck everyone's sick of. Right, you wait until the middle of the day two, and then you just say, okay, time to be sick of it again. Right. It's like I watch Huey, and he's like sitting there, rolling his eyes every turn, going, how does this deck ever beat Oko? How do I ever beat Oko? I guess I'm just going to play Oko. somewhere right now rolling his eyes. True. But then we have, you know, a bunch of other people who are doing like, you know, I'm going to take every deck. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest relevant streams was... Um, Andres Strasky, I think it was. He took every deck that in the MCQW day two. Oh wow! That wasn't Oko, and he just played six matches with each of them, one after another. Oh wow! Right, just trying to find the truth, and it was with not so great results. But like we were following it, he reported all his results. We talked about it. I tried some of them at the same time, stuff like that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the problem is you can't get enough reps in against Oko. Like, I want to play Oko. I want my opponents to play Goose on turn one, because that's the games I want to play. I want to see if I beat that. I want to see the play patterns. I want to see the details. I want to make the play choices. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Just another Twitter interaction yesterday. Jessa Stefan was, uh, she was like, ah, oh, you know, she's like, you know, I, I played a turn two Oko, and kind of want to throw up, ask me anything. Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't think throwing up is, uh, valid here unless you also used once upon a time to find either the untapped land or the goose or and she was like no don't worry about it i london mulligan didn't do it <laughs> <laughs> which is i think another thing that's sort of looming over this mythic championship is you know as we've got a few more events and a few more big events is, is you know is the london mulligan working no this straight up no the london mulligan is a disaster and it's exactly the disaster that I predicted it was likely to be, which is everyone was thinking, like, you know, well, we know that this deck is broken when 65% of people play it. So we'll see how many people play Urzatron or whatever the decks that benefit most from the London Mulligan are if suddenly that the modern field looks like it's just a, few, just a handful of decks all of a sudden or it's degenerating quickly, we'll know there's a problem. But I, I said, well, yes, if that happens, you know there's a problem. You cannot do this. But if it doesn't happen, you don't know there's not a problem. Because 
that's not really what's happening here. Magic self-adjusts. If those decks get better, then people start preparing for them more and preparing for other things less. And modern more or less takes care of itself because everybody is sort of locked into what the few decks they know. In fact, over a period of months, things will be very slow to adjust in the ways you don't like. Mostly people will switch on the margins, then people will... What will happen is play patterns will change. What will happen is I will have my sideboard card and you will have yours and I will mulligan to my answer to your sideboard card that you're mulliganing for. Right? I will take every slow hand, especially on the draw, and say, well, I can't win a game with this if you're keeping seven because right. you would have gone to six. So I have to assume your hand is good. I have to throw this marginal hand away. Right? Elk Blade is the embodiment of that. That deck relies on the London mulligan to be built that way. I've never mulliganed with a deck as aggressively as I have with this deck under the London Mulligan. I wrote the Mulligan guide as part of the deck guide about an hour ago. And I specifically said, what hands can you keep? You can keep a hand that has a green source, has a red source, that has a one dropper, that has a one dropper once upon a time, and that has a three drop, and a second, and a third mana source. You can keep most of those hands. And if you don't have all of those things, with Once Upon a Time being able to be your three drop right. or your extra land or your one drop. Once Upon a Time, a.k.a. the Eldraine Mulligan. <laughs> yes, the Eldraine Mulligan. If you do not have all of those elements, maybe you can keep Goose into Wicked Wolf. So, right. you know, or with, uh, with, a good, uh, with an otherwise texturally good hand, right? Like with a hand that can play real magic after that, especially on the play, that's on the margin depending on what you're up against or you think you're up against. But anything else, you've just got to throw it back. You cannot start the game on turn three. Right. And you built your deck knowing that if you had your hand, that you could, if you had your like stupid Paradise Druid level start, like, like I don't even want those starts. Like, I want to mulligan those hands, so why do I have these cards in my deck? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Didn't the, uh, the Elk Blade deck start from the point of, like, turn two, Riding Regisaur, like, where it was, like, wasn't it originally a Sultai... Like, deck. So we, we may have spent a few minutes there before we got there on the day of. We definitely spent a few hours there later because when I realized that Oko draws weren't beating the other Oko decks anymore because they would not just grasp the Oko, yeah. I was like, well, what if Oko is just being so targeted and we can just dodge the Oko? Because if we played Embercleave, Warboss, Regisar as our main trio, now, yes, it's not like not just grasp is a bad card against us. It hit Goose, it hits Questing Beast. But I'm not going to lose my Questing Beast. I'm not a bad man. But, you know, and also you can't hit the Spellbreaker when it counts, right? right like, right, right. so maybe I can do this and sort of dodge that card when I know it's there. At the Pro Tour, I'll know if you have it. If I can sculpt my hand and sculpt my mulligans around this decision, I can put the right card back. That's the other thing. It's like knowing the opponent's deck list. Like, oh, I have an Oxus Grass in my deck. Oh, you're running Jeskai. Oh, you're running Blue Light Control. I guess I'll just mulligan and put the Noxus Grass on the bottom of my deck. Right. Like, so nothing was lost. Like, what the hell? This is my, this is the world we live in now? This is crazy. So now, now you have a shared deck list because scouting becomes so important, which means that everybody now knows, which means everybody uses the London Mulligan. So, like, you're caught coming and going. There are no good answers, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we did. I'm saying it's, it's, it's a trap either way. Right. Just different, you know, you're just different ways to have a bad experience. So you now have a situation where everybody is just mulliganing more and more and planning their decks around subtly around this plan. Like, if you look at my list, well, there's nine blue sources on the lands, plus the four Gilded Goose. That's a little shaky for turn two plays, you would think. But no, no, it's not. Because, you know what? If you don't have an alternate two, if you don't have an alternate three mana play, you know the blue source, you just throw it back. 
Right. That's fine. And you have once upon a time to go dig. Right. So it's the equivalent of like, you know, 12, you know, 13 base plus four kind of plus a little more. So it's actually fine. Just a little pain. But also like life totals don't matter anymore, right? Everyone's hitting lockers. Right. So like I don't hit them. They don't hit me. We just try to defend walkers for a while, and then occasionally, eventually, someone dies. I mean, it's great if you can just smash their face for a bunch. But it, <laughs> it cuts off their options. Sometimes they die, but it, it's not the main thing going on. Well, one of the things I was surprised with the Elkblade deck was how often you actually, and, it, and by often, I don't actually mean very often, but compared to other decks, how often you could actually just ignore a Planeswalker and attack them. The problem is you can't ignore Oko because Oko elks your blade. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so if you have the blade, you have to hit Oko. Oh no, no! Once you once you have the, I mean, you, yeah. I, yeah, you put the blade out. You try to either you have to kill the planeswalker or kill them on that turn. Yes, but but before that, like there's also a lot of games where it's like, well, I can hit them down to three, <laughs> or I can just hit Nissa. And if I hit Nissa, how do I actually lose? Sure. Right. I, the play now. Now the thing is down. The best play they had last turn is gone. If they play a Hydra, they just die. If they don't play a Hydra. Okay, so they have to play exactly Oko to just not die to the Embercleave, which was true anyway. And then, like, it would have been a real problem if they had the Nessa still alive. And so, obviously, I killed the Nessa. So, like, it doesn't matter. You just pressure their Planeswalkers. You stop even thinking about it. Like, when you're just testing on Arena. At the Pro Tour, you obviously tank for a minute because it's an important decision. <laughs> but, no, it, it's just you almost always hit the Walker if you can kill the Walker. Even if you can't hit the Walker. You can't kill the Walker. Like, so many times, I've regretted not damaging Nessa a lot. Even what it looked like Nissa was not that much lower than them. Right. Because food comes out. And so I mean, they gain life. And so, yes, it's because I didn't hit Nissa down from six to one. I can't now kill Nissa. And instead I hit them, right, down from like nine to four. And then they put out food. Now it's like no. nothing actually dies this turn. <laughs> so I do. Ugh. <laughs> what, what's, uh, talk to me about the role... Vale of Summer is playing in this Pro Tour. Because I think it's secretly, or maybe not so secretly at this point, but it's certainly, um, you know, we, we had talked about, on the previous preview cast, we talked about Greg Orange, right? Now he had given up. And when I when I actually messaged him uh, about that, you know, I was like, did you? And he said, yeah, I did. Uh, he said, Teferi and Vale of Summer just make it so that I can't play the type of magic I want to play. The threat is stronger than its execution. Right. So it's not, it's not that you get veiled. It's that because you would get veiled if you tried this other thing, you right. can't do the thing. Right. Someone whose entire career of magic has been built around one type of play just feels completely cut off from it. Like, look, I think that one of the secrets is if Aethergust wasn't worded that way, things would be so much worse. Aethergust says the player puts target spell on the top or bottom of their library so it doesn't counter it. Right. So Veil of Summer doesn't work if oh, you target okay. a spell. So they can't protect their Nissa with a Veil of Summer or their Oko with a Veil of Summer if you have specifically Aethergust. And because everyone can just run Aethergust, because everyone who isn't green is red. Right? Just by this weird coincidence with very rare exceptions. So Aethergust is a good card against like 90-something percent of the field. And you've got Cavaliers to throw it back anyway, so it's not that... And, and they're not trying to kill you if they're not either color, mostly, so it's fine. So you can play, like, three or four main deck Aether Gusts. And then after board, you have four Aether Gusts. And so if you put in Veil, you're always risking it the Gust 
will stop you from doing the thing you want to do, and you won't be able to respond in a useful way, and they will just summer, will just cycle. Like people are putting in veil against cavaliers, and sometimes it's a superstar, and sometimes it's dead. Right? It's just G cycle. Right. At the right times, because no, I'm just targeting spells of Aether gusts, and I'm attacking of creatures, and you don't get protection. Yeah, I'm right. sweeping the board, and like I'm just doing stuff, and like. Your spell is not relevant. Yeah, Aethergust is, is an interesting... Uh, you can also Aethergust the Veil of Summer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you know it's there, and then they have to expose yourself to it, right? It's, like, awkward, but... <laughs> like, you normally go to the bottom at that point, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> unless they have a lot of mana, at which point they can cycle it later, so who yeah. cares? Yeah. But it's the same idea of... Veil is preventing people from doing the things that would be able to stop what's going on because they would then die to the Veil. Because green apparently gets the best counter spell, and yeah. the best search, it's, it's, you know, and the best mana. People have called it, you know, the one mana cryptic command. Yes. I mean, that's. I mean, and at its peak, that's what it feels like. At its worst, it just feels like an opt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's. People will sometimes bring it in where they shouldn't, where it's not sure. doing very much, and they hold on to it and they hold mana up, and it's just error. Sure. Right, and then their deck has too much mana in it, and they're going too slowly, and these two problems build on each other, and they end up in a lot of trouble. And I think Veil has cost my opponents a lot of matches where I didn't notice. Sure. Because they have this Veil in their hand that I never saw. Right. Right. Um, so, looking at, if you're going to look at, you, you get to travel back six weeks. Sure. And you're in charge of the ban and restricted list. Yes. For standard going into Mythic Championship 6. For this, specifically for this event, right, it's a big, what What do you do to fix standard right now? So, and, the, and that could be anything. Throne is, throne is locked, but I I can do what I want. Yeah. So, like, I've gotten permission from the he the heads up. Yeah. Like, I can axe Oko if I want. Yeah, I yeah, can do whatever yeah, I need to do. They're just like, Zvi, we need you to fix this for us. Well, I have a few weeks, so I have the play. So hopefully, this play design team that let us down can uh, can test a few things for me first, right? If I have all the deck lists that exist in the real world, that give them to try some matches. But assuming I just have to like use my own intuitions. Part of this is managing people's reactions and expectations. Like you can't just act six cards all of a sudden and like be like, "Trust us, we tested this," because like people will not understand. Sure. So I would say if I have complete freedom to ignore. The fact that Oko is on the marketing. Yep, you right. You get to ignore the out the the box. <laughs> ban field of the dead. Ban Oko, and see what happens. I think because if you do that, players will understand and they will embrace. As it was clear, like on Twitter, that if they had banned Oko alongside Field, there would have been very little pushback. There would have been mostly an embracing that they were being proactive, and they would have understood. There would be people who were complaining that their Okos were worthless, but they'd still be playing them in three other formats. So it's not that bad. Right. It's actually fine. And so everyone would have more or less accepted it. If you ban anything else on top of it, it feels like overkill because without Oko, all of the play patterns change. Right. Right. You're no longer trying to get to Oko. Without Oko as a sort of supplementary or backup plan, is Nissa even a good idea to work towards? Right. The Simic entire strategy doesn't make sense anymore, so you're not blue because blue is specifically for Oko. Right. Unless you're splashing blue for Disdainful Stroke or something, but that's kind of weird. So... 
why are we blue? So now we're black, maybe we're red, maybe we're white, we don't know. Things change. And so I would say I ban Oko and I reverse the London Mulligan. Okay. And I see what happens, right? Now that you have to play a real a deck with a real banner base, with a real set of interactions where I can't just count on something happening. And then you know, I expect there to be more problems because I printed so many messed up magic cards. <laughs> but what 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 are cards you would consider beyond Oko? Cards that I think need to be nervous if people are thinking Gilded Goose. Yep. Even if Oko is also banned, I think Gilded yep. Goose is still we need to have a conversation. Arboreal Grazer should be not zero percent nervous. Wow. Because I think that Wizards has it, shown in it should be honored. <laughs> it should be honored to be nominated, yes. I mean, if you look at the art, you can tell it's just not like these other cards, right? Like, it just was not a marquee I mean, this was. I mean, this is a card that when people first started including it in their lists, it was a source of mockery. Yes. Right? People were like, I can't believe, you know. I mean, you know, if someone played that card against you in Limited, you still, you know, that that's mockable. Whenever people play Lotus Petal against you? Right. Yeah. Back before it was good? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. But... It is. It has proven itself. It is Lotus Petal. Like yeah. it's very similar, yeah. right? It just it gets you that one extra mana on the turns that matter, in exchange for not much else. And so yes, in the first of all, everyone who did it in draft should still be mocked. Yes, I agree. Like rightfully so. But yes, with the London Mulligan, the card gets a lot better. You can throw it back. If you go to six, you can just put it, toss it in the bottom because right. like it's just no longer useful. And if you have a seven card hand with it, it's great. You're golden. So the card gets much better. Like, if you mulligan to six under the old mulligan rule and you have a Arboreal Grazer, it's like, ugh. Like, I don't do anything. I'm old to five. What the hell? <laughs> like, so, I think it should be considered, because, like, I think there's a lot, there's a history of Wizards preemptively banning the almost as good replacement to the thing that you're banning. And I have never regretted that happening on sure. reflection. Sure. Right? Like the whole like, yeah, we don't know if Pondor or Preordainer is the right thing. Just get rid of both of them. Like, let's not think about this too carefully. Like, it's an effect that we've, we're, you know, we're sick of it. Yeah. Let's just get rid of it. So those cards should be considered. Right. Once upon a time, needs to be in the conversation. It is a free spell that switches your deck, fixes your mana. I cannot accept the idea that you are going to be playing in this Pro Tour potentially without Once Upon a Time. I have a really hard time believing it. It is... You know, you you have been on this card uh, and the power of this card since day zero. Yes, but I'm also... I, mean, look, I, I, I yeah. understand how it happened. It was like it just... 90% of the MCQW. Something like that. Wow. Certainly the 75. So like, I think... Maybe not 90, but like it was it was very high. It was the I think it was the highest card. It was just... Basically, and I think that half the people who weren't playing it were just wrong. This is day two, not day one. But yeah, like yeah. half of them that weren't playing it were just like, I'm playing a green deck that should be playing this and I'm not. Right. I mean, that was the worst... It got, it'd never been as bad as the MCQW. Like, it got a little bit better. Yeah. But, like, yeah, people were just should be playing this. But, like, if you can't play green, like, Fires of Invention means that casting the spell is actually pretty expensive. So, like, you, you actually can't play it. Like, you can't just splash a forest in that deck. Like, it's just not an option. And believe me, I thought about it. <laughs> but also, because, like, your, your high end is creatures. So, like, it's not crazy, but, like, the card you're looking for is fire. So, like, just, it's not really a thing, right? I, there might be a version that's four colors to run once upon a time at some point in the future, and it wouldn't shock me. Um, no, seriously. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think so, but it wouldn't shock me. Right. Um, like I'm all over the card, but the, the problem, and again, I think there's still a chance I play it, but I, I think that there's just the problem of, 
when you have to beat one deck, sometimes you just do the thing that happens to have the play pattern that beats that one deck, and it happens not to have Once Upon a Time in it. Of course. And basically what you're saying is you're always going to do the same play pattern. My deck is lined up very well against that play pattern. Go have fun. And don't I, basically you, you almost never mulligan. It's the opposite, right? You don't mulligan. You count your deck to bring you what you need, to search for what you need, and you see what happens. Um, and you improvise if you don't have it. And the draws where you get fires on time, it's very hard to lose to most decks, unless they have specific prevention of it. And the draws where you don't, you're an underdog, but you play magic, and you have a lot of dick. Right? So even if you don't start with it, you're still a favorite to play it on turn four. Okay. Most, like, or close to it. Not necessarily a favorite, but like you have a very good chance of playing it on turn four or five. And turn five is usually fine. Like, it's... Right. Because you catch up pretty fast. Like, as long as you're not, like, dig, 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 dig for three turns, like... And then five that on turn five or six, then you're just behind and you died. But, you know. Basically, the reason why I was res resistant to try the fires decks was because I thought if you don't have fires, you just die. But actually, it's... Because you can, you can reverse the situation much better than other decks, you can actually win from situations slash doing nothing for a while better than other people. So it's, it's kind of okay. And just being able to just trust your deck and just play around. Because, like, if you're on seven cards and they're on six, but you're missing fires, it's like, well, maybe it's okay, right? Like, So so Once Upon a Time is, is on the list for you. Anything beyond those... Oh, we're not done. Oh, we're not. <laughs> Veil of Summer should be very nervous. This was, this was my question. But that's a lot of green cards. Green has never been... Green has never had this many cards in contention for... Uh, we're not done. For <laughs> There's one more. Okay. So, so Veil of Summer should be very nervous because, again, it's it's just it's holding down a bunch of play patterns yeah. that would increase diversity of the format. I mean, White Blue got to second place in Leon because I think the number of Veils got pretty far down slash a player spiked. But I think a player spiked, basically. It wasn't a popular deck. It wasn't a particularly effective deck. It's just a deck that's almost kind of there. Found, found the right path through the back roads to get where it was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guy got a fortunate set of matchups and played well and, and drew well and it happens, yeah. right? Like, not, didn't take anything away from him. It's yeah, just like, yeah. it wasn't the deck of the tournament or anything. Right. And then... It's like the thing what people do when they do football season simulations. You you could run that season a thousand times. And he'll win three of them. <laughs> yes. But three is a lot better than zero. There are certain teams... <laughs> Miami wins zero, right? <laughs> Sunday notwithstanding. <laughs> but... <laughs> so... The last green card that should be nervous is Nissa. Oh, sure. Now, I think this is... Nissa should be mad about this. And if you've seen Nissa's eyes, like, Nissa's always yeah, mad, Nissa. right? Nissa shakes the world, is, is not a happy camper. Nissa is pissed. But um, I think that a lot of players were talking about banning Nissa, as in the don't give people their backup Oko, right? The same way you don't want to give people their backup Goose. It's just if I get to I get to the quick Nissa, like if, if I'm going to let Goose and Grazer stay in the format, and Nissa can come out on turn three... Do I really want to run this back of turn three Nessa instead of turn two Oko? When this is not not necessarily a worse draw, right? Depending on how this plays, turn three Nessa into, you know, stuff including Krasis is a draw that, like, a lot of normal fair things really have trouble with if they're not specifically set up for it. Disables, again, a lot of play patterns, forces a lot of people to play very, very low to the ground. So I think if you're banning Oko and you're saying, I want to ban the cards you do with the mana, and therefore, I don't want to ban the mana, right? If you ban Goose and Oko, it's just kind of bizarre. Sure. Right, the entire food engine, really? Like, can we have a set, please? We want to sell some cards. Or, you know, we want to just, like... Goose would be so much worse about Oko, we don't want to ban it. If you ban Nissa, I think you've covered a lot of bases. However, I would then be very worried about a deck like Elkblade just switching to black. Right. 
right? Or even staying pure red green, right. potentially. Right. It, it is. It is easily a red. Just a. a and you can a, add Dumry. A roll deck. Yeah. You can. You just add Dumry and like and the fourth spellbreaker yeah. and like just play the deck straight up and it's fine. Right. Like it's just a different way to build Grohl. But like I'd be very worried about the engine of one into three. Just the way that like they've made a lot of great three drops, and the two, best two drop in the format is Stomp. No, seriously, it is, though. Yeah. Right? Like, what do you want to play instead of Stomp? At two, Stamp and Paradise Druid. Right? The Paradise Druid is, is based on the fact that you played a Goose on turn one or a Grazer, so that now you get to Nyssa. Otherwise, people are doing this thing of, like, I, I'm going to play Paradise Druid into Wicked Wolf? Into Wicked Wolf. With no food? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really work, does it? No. So I don't, I, I don't feel like these second turn Paradise Druid hands are even that keepable. I feel like it's okay because of Nyssa. Right, you're trying to get to Nyssa. You're just trying to play a lot of mana. It's hexproof, so you can just sort of get to turn four Nyssa this way pretty reliably. And so turn four Nyssa with some other stuff going on. Like it's like turn three Oko, turn four Nyssa after that. It's like that's fine. Like it's it's an attempt, right? It's a thing you can do. It's but again, I think that like if you don't want to hit Goose or Grazer, hitting Nyssa makes a lot of sense. But Again, I'd be also inclined to say let's let it shake out a bit. You know, no I, pun intended again. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. But I'd also be inclined to say let's add a ban restricted day. Like, I think it should be a general policy when there's a close decision. Right. Right? To add a mulligan, like, a, you know, three, four we, weeks we later. We will revisit this four weeks later. Right, we will revisit this decision. We will not be unbanning anything on that date, so you can safely not worry about right. getting go of cards that you don't want anymore. But we do not guarantee that, your car that this is enough. We don't know. We don't want to pull the trigger on six cards at once. We don't want to just ban the color green. Yeah. <laughs> so let's try one card at a time and see what happens. What, what non-green cards are on your list? So Deferi Time Reveler is the most important consideration i think sure. of the other cards now that and i feel like teferi's done nothing like or nearly nothing for the past since, so since the the banning well the problem with teferi is again teferi doesn't let people play reactive magic so like you've got wilderness reclamation decks that just fall over and die sure right they've got like two answers in their deck like if you teferi plus one against the current reclamation decks they have like two brazen borrowers as they're only out and they can't counterspell back up it because they can't. And their deck doesn't work anymore. Right. Right? So if they have a white blue deck with counterspells in it, goes turn three to fairy and untaps, the game ends. Like literally this game will end twenty turns later and they'll have won. <laughs> like but they'll have won. Right. Because now my cards don't play. Right? Like does whenever I try to cast my explosion, I'll be like, No. Counter that. And like nothing matters. And I just totally draw cards with the thing. <laughs> like and I just deal with everything. And if I play it out of fires, it's like, you know, turn three to fairy sticks against a white blue deck, it's like, well, fires is resolving now. Either I tap out to deal with Teferi and fires resolves, or I don't tap out to deal with Teferi and fires and fires resolves. Because if I don't deal, tap out to deal with it, well, I'm tapped out anyway. Right. And it's the ultimate test spell, so you can't play counterspell decks. Right. Now, even though Teferi is in the white blue deck that you want to play, because it's a just efficient planeswalker for that deck, if you want that deck to be good, maybe you have to pan it and hope that the cat has replacements. Wow. Like, it's weird. But if you banned Teferi and, say you banned Teferi in Veil of Summer and said, well, the white blue deck no longer has Teferi in it, maybe it's not that good, let's let your instants play. 
right. and see what happens. And I think you could hit like Oko to Fairy Vale, for example, as a proposed set, and say now you can counter the third turn Nissa. I can just Dovin's veto the damn thing. Right. Right? And it's fine. You can't veil back by waiting till turn four or whatever you would do. Or miss, you know, right. And now you're playing Magic again. Right? Because now that's an option, but the aggro deck still exists, so I can't just do that. And like we just see what evolves. Um, but I think there's a lot of things to worry about. So I think there's, it's a very difficult puzzle. Um, I think Ogo has, like, Ogo has to die. Okay. Right, like this is this is one of those mythic situations, right? You know, the same way that Elspeth has to die at the end of the Theros Odyssey. Um, Oko has to die, right? The trickster has been caught. Yeah. Like, you know, he's as dead as Jesus, right? Like, it's just you know, just he's got to be sacrificed for the good of all. You know, it's it's you know, you can you can expose the king, but you then die. It's just that's how it is. All right. And and then we deal with whatever happens next. Um, in terms of this weekend, you know, again, I expect roughly six, roughly two thirds Oko. Wow. Um, I would be blown away by less than half. What do you think the top three decks after Oko decks are? I think Cavaliers, because of the current buzz, is likely to get to number two. Right. But the failure to do anything in either Grand Prix might make people think that it's arena thing okay and also it's just I mean it hasn't been seen on arena until just now so it might be just a quirky thing it might be just a blip but I'd be surprised if it wasn't there Reclamation is considered the Oko killer and it did very well on day one of Leon it didn't break through to the top eight right um, it had a Teferi problem and therefore it has a Fires problem for example if they run Teferi which some the versions are now not running as many copies of but it has some very big problems and it's kind of fragile but it's definitely a kind of deck that a lot of Pro Tour players like to bring to this type of tournament, right? Like, I'm going to do that sort of thing, and I'm going to beat you. Again, very good with the London Mulligan, right? Because, like, you're just looking for growth spirals and wilderness reclamations, and nothing else matters to you right. early on. And being on six just doesn't do anything, right? That, that, that Mulligan matters very little for you. Because once you do your thing, you're captured in setting all over the place, and you're drawing lots of cards, and, like, you just don't miss it. It's fine. Um... And then, if I had to pick a third deck, probably Green Black Adventures because people keep doing okay with it. Sure. And they like it. Uh, Aristocrats is being tested by a lot of people. I don't know if those people actually are serious or like it. There were two Aristocrats decks on the top eight of Leon. Right. It didn't have that much coverage in they the rest of the like field. They call it like four color sacrifice or something. Sacrifice. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're looking for those deck lists. Yeah, they call it sacrifice. It's probably going to be in the top three in some form just because like there was both a four color and a more traditional red block. It's a dangerous deck. It does a lot of powerful things. But it also has so many games where it's like turn one, go. Turn two, which is familiar or familiar oven or like... You know, turn three, like, guy, go. And then, like, slowly, like, suddenly you have this rush yeah. where they play Mayhem Devil and, like, you take a billion. But right. but, but, it, but in the early turns, that deck has a lot of Arboreal Grazers. Like, a lot of cards that sort of just look embarrassing on there. The deck is so... Has so many ways to hit air and so many ways to just need turns to develop. And I have a really hard time believing that it can play with the big boys as currently constructed. Would you, would you consider that... Uh, you wouldn't consider that an aggro deck, would you? No, it's 
like a weird combo-y like pile of weirdness. Even 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 I mean there are some versions of Red Black that are built aggro. There are some versions that are playing like the menace knight uh, that draws cards and like just you know orders and just like they're just like going out as fast as possible and have the sacrificing their aggro decks. Right. I think those decks are not that great. I think that the more trailer crumsy like complex versions, if they get them right, you know, maybe Sam will get it right, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> That's more what dangerous. Are the odds Sam would play a sacrifice deck. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Not never gonna happen. Um, what, what? So, but what? What does aggro look like? So, I mean, at the last Mythic Championship, right? We saw the mono red deck. We saw the the Gruul deck win with Javier. Yeah, but Gruul was bad, right? I like, understand. Javier so, admits, right? right like yeah. it was a mistake. He just like he's a great player who had a good build and he made it work. Right. But like it did badly. It was not a good choice, even with all of that Golos. And its matchup against Poot is just bad. Okay. It's not salvable. Right. Yeah, so I, I think I think Gruul and Knights have always oh, yeah, been not good enough. Yeah. I think that they've been tried. They have explosive draws. They win matches. But their bad matchup at the last Mythic Championship was food, was Oko. And now Oko is the entire field. You can't run them. Right. Basically, how do you run Aggro... Into a field full of Okos and Wicked Wolves. Right, right. And one-drop accelerants. Right. Like, how do you even consider doing this? And... Right, just the, the, the play pattern where you go turn two, Oko, make my... Uh, make my Grazer a 3-3, three, three, turn three, play Wicked Wolf, you know, after make a food, make a Wicked Wolf. Yeah, that's more me, but, like, it's just But the, you, you still do... Well, I guess they're, yeah. they're druiding, yeah. Right, but just, like... You just... In a world where these are the decks that you naturally don't want to face, and they have better cards than you. So even though nobody is looking at you funny, and also like these, everyone's getting life, there's like you have to hit the Planeswalkers, but even hitting the Planeswalkers, is that good enough? So yes, they're mulligating if you're the right colors. You can try Mono, mono Black was tried, Red Black Aggro's been tried, Rule's been tried, you know, White Green Adventures is the closest thing to an aggro deck, I think. And it's not a, it's a soft aggro deck, right? It's a, like, Momentum builds, and then suddenly I'm hitting you with questing beasts and maybe Gideons, depending on what how my configuration is, and love struck beasts and like these heavy hitters, combined with this card advantage engine, and so I just keep pushing big things at you, while being kind of solid, and I hope it's good enough. And occasionally people report that it's working against food, and then other people report, no, I tried this deck, it doesn't work at all, <laughs> and then this fight is never settled. But the results seem to speak for themselves. So, you know, the adventure decks are kind of like what the face of aggro looks like right now, which is like, I play some long game, I play some mid game, you know, I can be aggro, and I see what happens, and I'm kind of playing Oko without Oko. You know, there's been less attempt to put Oko in those decks than I would have expected. It doesn't appeal to me because it's not where I'm looking to go, but like, you know, green black adventures, you could just play eight pain lands like the rest of us. <laughs> and some goose and like is it bad you know? Oko Adventures Oko's Adventure <laughs> I mean you got a lot of bad creatures to make into elks right like can we talk about this <laughs> I'm not suggesting I'm not going to try it like I it's, I don't like playing those decks but like right. and like there's no there's no room is the other problem yeah, to yeah, put yeah. eight cards in yeah. or twelve if you're playing Wicked Wolf 2 but right. like it does appeal right like sure. as a concept right you get to do this thing and then also do this other thing, and so I have two... I mean, I have one broken draw. The problem is the adventure draw has just never been good. 
Right. It's always been highly mediocre. It's just I have this thing going on. So, like, is this really where I want to be? But, like, a lot of them already rang Nissa, which makes me, like, and I just want to do this Gilded Goose thing, right? If all Gilded Goose is to sit around until they cast Nissa on four mana, then that's a pretty good Gilded Goose. Yeah. <laughs> such a weird, such a weird, weird format. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, to, I don't know what to expect. I, I mean, what, what's your takeaway looking at uh, some of the deeper cut Leon decks? Was there anything that you're like, oh, I wish I had more than a week, to, you know, more than a couple of days left before the event? Was there anything in there you saw that like kind of like got you excited? I mean, if there was more than a week, I'd look more at the sacrifice details. I'd look more at the details of, like, everything weird than I did. But basically, no, because I wasn't really looking for it. And it was pretty far down before you get there, mostly. Because, you know, why do I, you know, why do I go digging for the thing that I can't look at? Right? I can't look at it. So it, it's this, exactly the problem. You don't notice what you don't notice. Right. All right, so years ago someone told me, and probably not great advice, but they said, you, open, you draw your opening hand. Before you do it, visualize what you want your opening hand to be, right? So I want you to just tell me, you go to, you go to the Pro Tour, you sit down for your first draft, you open up your first pack, and it doesn't have to be the most broken card, right? It doesn't have to be an Oko, but like, what, what, do, you, what do you want to see in that first pack? What, what is going to make you feel like, okay, I'm, I, I, my, my preparation is... is Feasting is put, Troll King. Really? I mean, because it's quadruple green, so now I have no regrets, right? I'm just going to do this. YOLO. Yo. No, it's, it's Yorvo. It's not YOLO. Yorvo was good, too. I would happily accept Yorvo, by the way, as an alternate answer. But, yeah, no, a heavy green broken card would be my perfect start because even though it's not, like, actually as powerful a start in terms of its flexibility is low, yeah, no, I'm just in. Like, I'm just not going to – it's just going to be too late by the time I realize it's wrong. And then I was just like, and part of that is like, I need some help. I want to win this pro tour. I'm willing to gamble. Yeah. And then by the time I turn out it's wrong, I'm going to muddle through. Yeah. Uh, so now you get you get to standard and you sit down and you exchange deck lists with your first opponent. What deck do they hand you? And then you go, yes, this is, this is, I picked, you know, the right weapon. Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, assuming I'm on the Cavalier deck. Sure. I mean, certainly if I, you know, the weird thing is in Lyon, it did very well against not food and badly against food. And that's not how it feels to me. It right. feels like when you're playing against not food, you're up against, like, potentially a weird thing that doesn't line up against what you're doing, and you're kind of on shaky ground. And if you're up against food, you know it lines up well. Uh, certainly if they, if they hand me, you know, a Soul Tie style list with no board cards that matter, I'm freaking happy. Right, because like, I know that I don't have to worry about anything. My fire is going to resolve. My fire is going to stay on the table. So you could see three cards that are on your potential ban list: Guilt Goose, Once Upon a Time, Oko, maybe even a fourth in Nissa, and feel like you're 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 in a good spot. Again, I I chose a deck partly based on, and I I understand the results, saying that I shouldn't be happy here. Yeah, but I mean, certainly if I'm facing like the real answer is like, hello, Green Black Adventures. You know, like, hello, like, some random, like, clunky, you know, aristocrats, is the sacrifice decks, the bad sacrifice decks are, like, the slow ones. Like, right. they're, they're both, like, they don't have, like, some weird high end that, like, actually is a problem. Like, they both, like, a lot of, there are decks that, like, both can't go over the top of fires of what I do and can't go under me. 
And those decks are wonderful. They're just a very small percentage of the field. And also Reclamation is generally a good matchup because Teferi is so awkward for them. Like, if I saw, like, a Reclamation deck with no Raging Borrowers, for example. Right. Like, I just couldn't remove Teferi if I just plus it. <laughs> then, like, it's like, okay. You have anything, cast a giant and hope it kills it. Like, which is not a great plan. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's... Now, I, I'm, also, I'm also going to Richmond. In fact, I'm going to head out to Richmond before you do. Um, I'm going for the Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, Reed Duke getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, what... what? What does what's your like Reed Duke uh, history like? Have you have you do you have any great matches against Reed or I have never really played against Reed for anything yeah. uh, except in testing. Yeah, it's great to test against him. Like he's super helpful. He always wants to learn. He always wants to do the right thing. Like you know, just everything you'd want. It, it's fascinating to me talking to people about Reed and gathering some like anecdotes and quotes and and communication is probably the most universal I mean just after being nice everyone's like he's so nice but like they, they talk about his ability to communicate the game state communicate complex ideas about the game in an understandable way to just always you know being a great teammate it's like communication just comes up time and time again oh certainly like when I was trying to learn to draft when I was back in the Pantheon it felt like was Reed the best drafter in the group? No. Was Reed the person you asked when you wanted the answer to a question you could actually use? <laughs> yes! Every time! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I find, uh, I, you know, working on some, like, remarks, or, you know, like, I'm going to introduce him at the, at the Hall of Fame ceremony, and uh, the, the, the phrase that keeps coming up for me about him is delightfully old-fashioned. <laughs> like, he's just, like... Every, like, to me, like, everything you want in a Magic player in the sense of, like, you know, he sits down at the table, he's polite to his opponent, he plays the game to its absolute conclusion. He's like, nope, still a, still this percentage of a chance I could draw something that'll win for me. We're going to stay here, we're going to play it all out, I'm going to give you my best at every, at every turn. I'm going to be gracious in victory or defeat. You know, I'm never going to do something for the cheap laugh. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to play to the crowd. I'm never going to, I'm just going to... And it's it's almost anachronistic, right? You know, like he he, he really feels like, you know, I, you know, not to you know, people baseball magic gets compared to baseball a lot, but you know, almost like you know the unwritten rules kind of a baseball kind of guy. Yeah, he always follows them. His deck signature is just barely enough, right? His decks are designed to have just barely enough to beat you. <laughs> He will be one card ahead, and then eventually maybe he'll be two cards ahead, but if he was three cards ahead, he'd be a bit embarrassed inside. <laughs> do, do, you think, do you think Reed has succeeded because of his, um, like, preference for what we would call fair decks, or despite it? Yes. I think that, like, there are... Whenever you have a strong preference, there are, are tournaments and situations that play to it, and you get to take advantage of them and do well. And then there are others where you play a deck that you're not supposed to play. And so I think there have been tournaments where Reed has definitely played an underpowered deck because it is his style, and he spent all the time working on it, and he's gotten it to be good enough that it's not a crazy decision, when if he had been working on something that made more sense, he would have been on a great deck and he would have done better. But there are other times when it turns out that's what you want to be. You, and maybe nobody else even saw it, but often other people did see it, and he just did a better job of it. I think specializing in general is good. 
you know, it's better to be a 10 at one type and a 6 at another type than right. an 8 at both. Right. The, the, the Wesco uh, philosophy. Like, Wesco has definitely benefited hugely from, I am going to play this deck, no matter how bad it is. Right. It's, is, it, is, there, is there a theory for this? Is it, like, broken clock theory? <laughs> I think that's basically right, right? Like, like he, he just accepts that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to know the insides and outs of everything like this. When it's terrible, I'm going to make it lousy. Right. When it's lousy, I'm going to make it good. When it's good, I'm going to make it great. Right. <laughs> right. I, I and one time in my life, it'll be great, and I'm in the Pro Tour. Right. <laughs> which, which is... That's what happened? A, that's a pretty great career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, bolt one bolt prediction for the Mythic Championship. Too much food. Way too much food. We're all sick. <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to happen, right? I think it's going to be two-thirds, roughly, food decks. I think we're looking at five or six in the top eight in expectation. Like, you know, it's just going to happen. And, you know, it's probably it's favored to win. You know, it's it's going to look ugly. And, and I think there will be, you know, one or two decks that are played by, you know, 5 to 10% of the field that have positive records against it that look like, you know, sort of answers, but nothing crazy. Nothing, 60, nothing in the 65, 70 range or anything. Something like 55%, you know, maybe 60 at most for like a reclamation style thing. But also Oko can adjust, right? Because like, one of the scary things is, you know, if, if there are real rivals, then you can justify playing Bant instead of Sultai. You can justify playing generically good cards. Like, what happens when they have access to Teferi? And all of your answers that are counting on them not having Teferi just turn, the matchup completely reverses, right? Like, Wilder's Reclamation beats you if you're Sultai. Right. Probably. But not. What happens if you have Brontodons and Duresses? What happens if you have Teferi instead of Black Cards? Right. You know? They, they, the only reason we have a chance to beat Oko is because Oko needs to beat Oko, too. And that's the signature of the cast Okay. My bold prediction is Zvi Moshowitz goes 5-1 and one in limited. That's my bold prediction for this event. Um, excited, excited to see how you do this weekend. Uh, see you in Richmond, uh, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll probably do a, a post-cap show with Mike at some point. Sure. So, all right, everybody, this has been Top 8 Magic. We're, we've been at Hex & Company here in New York, hanging out. Uh, thanks to them for letting us sit here and turning down the music a little bit. Uh, but starting to fill up, so we're going to get out of people's way and not be talking loudly about magic. Uh, talk to you soon. This has been Top 8 Magic.